Hey everyone, this is Angie and you are listening to my podcast, Asian Fail. It is September 6th, Labor Day weekend, and in California, it's pretty freaking hot outside. So, try to stay cool. Welcome to Global Warming. That's where we're at. So, the last time I posted, um, a lot has happened. Um, trying to get this homeschooling thing, distance learning, and all that sorted out. So, it's taken me a couple weeks, and my classes have started as well. So, I'm trying to juggle. And I'll just be honest, I'm not the best with time management, so just bear with me. I will try to get these up every week. Um, it's a little tricky uh, getting the guests and conforming to everyone's schedule, but it will work itself out. So since we last talked, Kamala Harris has become the first minority woman vice presidential candidate. Kamala is Jamaican and Indian. So that makes her the first Asian person to be nominated on the presidential ticket. So that was pretty awesome. And here in California, we're all very happy and supportive of her. Well, I shouldn't say all, but I am. I voted for her twice. And I was just thinking about being the VP. because She did run for president and it didn't work out so well, but she did get the VP nom so that was you know I guess you could say second place I don't know maybe some people might consider that an Asian fail I don't know I know what my mom would say though she would say vice president why now president you make a president that's a better so that's my mom and that's what she would say I know for sure and you know don't complain about the accent because she has one anywho moving on um, what else is happening um, of course you know the president is trying to distract us with all sorts of shenanigans um, basically trying to distract and deflect from his completely inept response to the pandemic and that's why we're still pretty much stuck at home and looking like we're going into surgery because we have no rapid testing so anyways that's where we're at with that on the fun side something a little less serious uh, Cobra Kai is the number one show on Netflix right now and I saw Karate Kid in theaters because I'm of that age group. I'm a Gen Xer. And that had a profound effect on me and I think all my friends because, you know, in one form or another, we were bullied. So to see Johnny get kicked in the face was just so satisfying. You know, and everybody was cheering. It's no coincidence that John Aldson directed Rocky as well. And lo and behold, 34 years later, they come up with Cobra Kai. It actually streamed on YouTube Red, which became YouTube Premium. And then Netflix scooped it up since YouTube is stopping their scripted series, which I don't know, kind of a mistake. You know, I don't know what happened. But um, they gave it to, I don't know, it's like breaking up with your girlfriend and then 
her going on to marry a gajillionaire or something. But um, they let Netflix have it and Netflix, you know, put some big marketing behind it, put it on its like very top of the page and now it's the number one streaming show around the world um, has been number one for over a week which is pretty remarkable but um, I must say like I I didn't watch it on YouTube Red I was thinking I saw a snippet and I was like oh man I don't want to see Daniel having become this douchebag car salesman and then I'm supposed to have feelings and feel sorry for Johnny no not going to do it. And plus they were trying to like pull more money out of me and I'm like sick of paying for all these a la carte things. I don't know about you, but I'm ugh, just tired of being nitpicked to death. So, um, I was like, okay, it's on Netflix. I do have Netflix, so I will watch it there. And I didn't know what to expect. I didn't go and read some reviews prior to it, but I must say it is oddly satisfying also and the writers and the creators do a fantastic job with balancing the comedy parts with the dramatic parts and because it's like a 30 minute show you have to look at it as sort of a single camera sitcom almost um, but they do such a great job with um, being hyper aware of the history of the Karate Kid, but also introducing new elements to it. And um, like I said, they do balance a lot of the comedic and dramatic parts. And I was reading some, I did read some, but I was reading some disparaging remarks about the quality of the martial arts in the show. And I just want to say that is like going to Olive Garden and complaining about the food not being authentically Italian. That's not why you're watching Cobra Kai. You know, just enjoy it. It's really fun. It's, um, I think one of the writers from Hot Tub Time Machine is on it and it's, um, it's a great fun little distraction while we're all cooped up at home still. And maybe, um, It'll make you take some remote martial arts classes. But um, yeah, if you have burned through everything else, that's yet another thing to try. So coming up, I'm gonna be speaking with Dr. Grace Chen. She's a psychologist and coach, and we're gonna be discussing issues and challenges that Asian American women face nowadays. And this is going to be a companion piece because I'm also going to interview an Asian American male psychologist just to get his take on what Asian American males, you know, their challenges and their issues growing up here in this culture. Dr. Chen, I was reading about all these Asian American health, I mean, not health, but hate crimes. And it just made me think that even if you're born here and your parents might have been born here, your grandparents might have been born here, for some reason, I'm sure it's just because of the way we look, 
um, we are still targeted for these hate crimes. And even though we're fully assimilated, you know, there's just one bad thing has to happen. And then all of a sudden, we still are seen as the other, you know, the foreigner. And usually the foreigner that's bringing some kind of plague or, you know, bad circumstance to the country. So yeah. have you seen any of um, the effects of that happening with your clientele? Well, I, th I think it's um, what you're talking about is that perpetual foreigner um, position mm -hmm. that Asian Americans are put in. And it, it fits a certain narrative that we have about various uh, groups and racial racial groups in the U.S. Um, that uh, I think we put that um, alongside with the model minority myth. So it's like we kind of for a while will kind of be treated as if we are kind of the ideal racial group. Um, but then when something negative happens, kind of like what you mentioned before is like looking for someone to blame, for example, for the coronavirus, then we kind of trot out that perpetual foreigner narrative. Um, and so it's, I think what happens is even if people aren't experiencing it directly, um, Asians or Asian Americans, they are on, um, on edge, kind of anticipating that, that someone's going to confront them or harass them because they see that people are being not just harassed, but attacked and assaulted. Um, and so even in the Bay Area, it's happening. And even though with large numbers of Asian folks in the Bay Area, people feel on edge. Um, so I, I do have clients who are like, feel anxious about COVID itself, but then feel anxious about being outside as an Asian American because then they also worry about being harassed. So it's it's kind of back in the back of their minds constantly that this is a possibility that um, something could happen to them. And like I'm, you know, Korean American, and then part of it also is you go out and you have your child with you or something, and you start to feel like a little paranoid, you know, especially if they're, if you go somewhere where there aren't a lot of Asian people mm -hmm. yeah. and you just feel like, are they staring at me because I'm Asian? Mm -hmm. And then like, God forbid your son sneezes, you know, mm -hmm. like even with your masks on, like you just get all these looks. But, yeah. um, but yeah, you, you do feel a little anxious and that kind of breeds this paranoia. Mm -hmm. And, um, it just increases your stress then. Mm -hmm. Right. It's like on top yeah. of already feeling stressed about all the uncertainties around a pandemic. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so we're adding like a whole nother layer for Asian Americans to deal with. Yeah, because you're always worried about the virus. You don't want to catch the virus. So that's always front and center. Mm -hmm. But then it's that extra layer of and I'm Asian. Yeah. And I can't sneeze. I can't wipe my nose. <laughs> I, can't, <laughs> I can't make any sudden movements or people are going to get freaked out and start, you know, yelling something at me. Yeah. Um, yeah. I remember just driving um, and I live in this quiet, sleepy suburb where there's like nothing really and I was just driving and just this guy just started honking at me for some reason. Mm. Just honking, you know, and like tailgating me. It was just really weird, you know. So I just had to like, I just made a left turn and just sort of sat in the parking lot for a little bit. Mm. But, you know, then you're thinking, am I being paranoid? <laughs> is it because I'm Asian or is yeah. it because he's just having a bad day? Maybe I'm not going fast enough or something, even mm. though, you know, it's like a 35 mile an hour zone. But um, yeah, a, it's like a, da a daily level. thing. There's a healthy level of paranoia, right? 
because mm-hmm. there has been enough stuff that happens um, that there's a little bit of a cultural mistrust. I think it's, a, you know, for us to be a little bit aware is it helps us anticipate and kind of, be, even though like it can't really um, help you figure out what to do, but just knowing a little bit that that's a possibility, I think kind of helps people feel like that's what's getting them through the day. <laughs> You know. Yeah, I mean, you definitely need to keep your safety, yeah. you know, um, just be aware of your surroundings at all times. Um, but let's, um, can I have you explain the model minority myth for listeners who aren't familiar with that term? Hmm. Yeah, this term came up um, from a, an article, a news article in, in around 1965. I know I get the exact date wrong, but... Um, it basically talked a lot about how um, it was idealizing um, Asian groups, specifically like Chinese and Japanese Americans. Um, and the the article was basically, I think what ultimately the impact was that, you know, Asians were held up as an ideal racial minority group. And, and almost, I mean, I think that we were used to be pitted against black folks and Latinx folks. Oh, for sure. To, to say, like, if they can do it, why can't you? Right. But, of course, it's not taking into consideration, like, the, his, the history of, like, immigration laws and who you were letting, you know, the U.S. was letting into the country at that time. So you had to be highly educated in order to um, immigrate to the U.S. at that time, right? So. Mm-hmm. Then, of course, it shifts when then we have refugees from Southeast Asia coming in. And so the, obviously there are patterns, but the, the myth remains the stereotype that um, everyone's highly educated, mostly East Asian. Um, they work hard. They work hard. Right. But it's like a, all these loaded terms. Oh, yeah. for sure. And, mm-hmm. and definitely doesn't represent a very vast, diverse experience of Asian Americans. And then you have Pacific Islanders thrown in too, right? And South Asians. And so um, mm-hmm. it gets very complicated. And Right. Yeah. Uh, and so it, it's basically the stereotype that um, Asians are all good at math. Um, they're hardworking. They're going to keep their head down, be mm-hmm. quiet. Right. Very amenable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And especially... Um... It might be different for Asian females and Asian males, but I know especially with Asian females, there's a real, I don't know what you call it, a premium put on being like a quote unquote good girl, Mm -hmm. meaning, you know, you don't challenge authority, you don't talk back, you don't assert yourself really in situations that might seem inconvenient, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and um, you definitely listen to what your parents want you to do. <laughs> yeah. So even that, if, if even if it goes counter to what you feel in your heart, mm-hmm. and that has ramifications for like every sphere of life. It could be what you choose to study, mm-hmm. who you choose to love, you know, what type of life you want. Um, you know, not everyone is built to get married and have children and work in a very like type a type of job right and a lot of pressure is put on getting into the right school and doing exactly that Mm -hmm. so um we could talk about specifically female um 
pressures. Like I know in growing up with my mother, <laughs> there was immense pressure to look a certain way. Mm-hmm. So you have to stay out of the sun and you have to um, be very ladylike, meaning, you know, you, you don't do sports and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And um, you had to be... Um, she calls it charming. So being just very um, sweet, especially to your elders, meaning you don't talk back and you're yeah. always smiling. And um, yeah, very much going along to get along. Right. So it's really not your needs that are first and foremost. It's what everybody else wants you to do and also what you can do for everybody else. Yes. Well, I think that's... That's the thing, right? We're, we have all these cultural messages um, and then very specific to gender roles. Mm-hmm. And then in the U.S., it, that we still have uh, gender role expectations also. Um, I, I do agree, like, there's a special brand <laughs> that um, certain Asian families have. Um, and we internalize these things and we're socialized, even if we, and I think it becomes harder if we especially don't feel like we fit those expectations, mm-hmm. right? Like if you're supposed to be charming and sweet, but you're actually kind of loud and like to be a little bit obnoxious, like that gets really hard um, because that creates a conflict um, internally. And I imagine it creates conflict within your family if you are not um, very easily following that expectation. Uh, and I'm also assuming that there, there are certain nuances within different ethnic groups in terms of like the pressures like, so being Korean-American, like, definitely, I think there are stronger messages about what it means to be a woman. Um, and so that's just something that, you know, people are trying to figure out, like, you value your family and your parents, you're trying to be respectful. So we've internalized these values. Um, but when you feel like, I'm not totally on board with everything, it's like, am I is it okay to be a rebel or not, right? And and how does that end up showing up? I think that's what we figure out is, um, you know, how that comes out for some people. It can be channeled in a very constructive way. And for others, it could be actually more maybe destructive in terms of like um, having a hard time uh, dealing with the parents' pressure of what you're supposed to be like. And um, so people might be acting out, for example, and really try to, separate from their family and following up on that um a lot of times like you know they want you to go to harvard they want you to be a lawyer and it's just not realistic for you (laughs) you know what i mean like yeah we can't all go to harvard yeah exactly i was a great student and Mm -hmm. i didn't even try that much but there was no way even Mm -hmm. if i applied myself and had a million hours of tutoring there was no way I was getting into Harvard. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, it's it's like this um, can't win situation sometimes. Yeah. And because you feel so defeated, sometimes you just end up going along, mm-hmm. you know, trying to do what they want because you feel like what's the point mm-hmm. if they're just going to you know, number one, give you a hard time. And sometimes it's just easier to do what they say so you can sort of have your own life. Mm-hmm. And um, I feel like that is, I don't know, it just leads to a lot of problems. And especially when you're a female, 
the problem of not learning how to assert yourself. Yeah. You know, especially in that critical adolescent phase, middle school to high school, where you're getting all that pressure to be thin, right, to be pretty, to mm-hmm. be a nice girl, quote unquote. Um, and then all these these milestones are coming up and you start to feel all this pressure where you have to, I don't know, be a cheerleader or you have to do all these social things and you have to be popular and you have to do well in school. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, okay, well, maybe I want to go to art school and I don't want to be a lawyer, but my parents are going to let me do that. So maybe I just try to be a lawyer and then do art on the side. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's just a lot of like hiding your true self. Yes. And and the yeah. pressure of like quote unquote being found out or having mm-hmm. to come out of that kind of closet, mm-hmm. and um, but the 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 assertive thing is the one that I really am troubled with, mm-hmm. because you see so many times where women don't stick up for themselves, yeah, and because you know there are real life ramifications if we look at what happened with. Harvey Weinstein and all those other things. Mm-hmm. You know, you will lose your job. Yeah. And there, he will destroy your career. Right. There are real threats right. out there. There are, yeah, yeah, four real threats if you speak mm-hmm. out. But in just little day-to-day things, like if you think about dating mm-hmm. and maybe you're being pressured into having sex, mm-hmm. but then it's almost like you've been conditioned yeah. to just give in mm-hmm. and um, not to fight you know, for what you think is right. Mm -hmm. Just little things like that. And it's like, how does that over time affect somebody and their sense of self? The constantly, okay, you know, well, they want me to, like putting Mm -hmm. others' needs before yours. How does that accumulate over time? Yeah. Well, I think you just described it. I mean, that, that a lot of Asian American women in particular are not encouraged to find their voice. I mean, that's really what you're talking about. And so much of the pressure in terms of like colleges or careers are are really um, reflective of Asian immigrant family experiences. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of immigrant families have that uh, that experience, whether it's overt or not spoken, that, you know, this is what you're here to do is to get an education, have a better opportunity. And I think a lot of times um, the immigrant parents, they just have a really limited understanding of what the options are so they just stick with the the ivy league the harvard standby stuff like my dad would always ask like what'd you get on your sat score and i actually knew he didn't really know what it meant you know whatever number but he would always just respond with that sounds good just try to take it again and make it higher like he just was like just more and more (laughs) better right it's got to be better right and so I mean, I, I felt like I had other resources where it, that didn't bother me so much, but it was really reflective of like, he didn't really know what I sh- needed in order to be competitive and successful, but he just knew like he would, he should push, right? Um, and I mm-hmm. think, you know, because the parents may not have a, a more nuanced understanding of all the different kinds of education you can have, um, especially in the U.S., then they just kind of stick with the old standbys. And then if you're a kid in a family that doesn't have a lot of open conversations, um, you've been trained since birth to be pretty obedient and listen to what your parents say. And they they are saying it because it's what they think is the best for you. And I do think there is um, a 
a shift in terms of like if because there are more Asian Americans who have grown up here who are parents um, of folks um, who are getting to be adult age also. So I do think there's quite a shift compared to like U.S. born versus um, the, the immigrant parents. Um, but, you know, if you even if you're U.S. born, something of my cousin who's older. So she, she's not U.S. born, but she was pretty much raised in the U.S. So she's got like kids in their 20s. Um, so she definitely has a more, um, I don't know, Americanized perspective in a way. But she was raised by immigrant parents. So she still had certain um, messages that she learned. Um, and so I think what happens um, is that bicultural uh, component of like, on the one hand, you're told to be respectful and humble. I think that's a big thing that Asian American women are, are drilled into them is be humble and modest. Um, but then you also need to be successful and speak up for yourself. So, so there are times you get those messages, but you know we're we're also um, reinforced to be humble. So it's it's really hard to figure out when to make that shift, how to make that shift, um, because there are just so many different things coming at you, and I, it really struck me when you're saying like you know if you're in a dating situation and someone's pressuring a woman to have sex and she doesn't quite feel like she can say no I think that's all part of that picture you're you're describing that you know there a lot of times we're not empowering girls and young women to to use their voice and that it's okay to mm -hmm. disagree right? right that conflict is part of life um, especially figuring out what is okay with you and what's not okay. Also that it's okay to acknowledge that you have some worth. Yes. You know, like if you don't ask for a promotion and say, these are the reasons why I deserve, you know, a bump. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know, some people that they see that still as a confrontation. Yeah with authority mm -hmm. and I can't speak for all Asian women, of course, but sometimes, you know, in our culture, like confronting authority is not something that we're raised to do mm -hmm. really. Um, so that, you know, that yeah. affects your pr professional life. You can't yeah. really um, get ahead and succeed if you're not always advocating for yourself. Mm -hmm. Right, it's one thing to know this, like I knew that, when I was working in an organization, I was like, I know I need to advocate for myself. But I was like, hell if I know how to do that <laughs> without exactly. feeling really awkward. And then the reality is me asking or advocating for myself in a workplace will could be received very differently than if it was a white male person advocating in the same way, right? So there is a reality. It's not just that I'm not speaking up. It's like I'm being responded to differently at the same time. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. it's like we're kind of wrestling with all of those dynamics too. Right. But your know, management wouldn't even know that you want this promotion, yeah. right? If you don't speak up. Yeah. They're just going to give it to Chad. Right. <laughs> you know oh, what I mean? Chad. Like, oh, Chad yeah. is like out there, like really showing that he's doing stuff, you know, but Grace is just... You know, let's give it to Chad because he's more of a go-getter. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm quietly you know. working behind the scenes mm -hmm. or something like that. 
pretty right. much doing everything while mm -hmm. Chad is taking two hour lunches. Yes. Um, <laughs> so, well, I think, so, I mean, this leads into the idea of, you know, representation and do we see, do we have role models that show us that, it, that there, there is a range of folks with different personalities who can be successful and that we don't have to fit a certain mold and stereotype. And, and so I, I think that's, um, that's why it's really important that we are out there more visible. Um, I think there's like, just personally, right, just personal um, characteristics, like some people just don't like being out there um, in terms of visibility. Um, and so that's, I guess, a, a different kind of pressure of like trying to be more vocal, even if you personally don't like doing that. Um, but knowing that it is important to kind of speak out and also to, to represent um, that Asian Americans are actually quite a diverse population with diverse experiences. Um, so I appreciate podcasts like yours trying to say like, hey, this is very complex um, and that we have very different experiences. And it's important to name that so that we don't we don't only see this stereotype of model minorities. Right. And like you're saying, it's it's not just you know, being Asian, but it's also being Asian and female. Yeah. So we have like two things that we're dealing with in this culture. And yeah, I think like I don't have a daughter, I have a son, but I, I, I still try to help him advocate for himself as much as he can. Um, you know, especially saying like if he's uncomfortable, if he doesn't like something, um, you know, he's he's fairly young right now, but yeah, you just don't want them to get into that situation when they're older and, you know, everything in their body is telling them that this is a bad situation mm -hmm. yeah. and they need to say something and get out of it. Um, and yeah, like you said, like, if I could do that, I don't have the tools to do that. So especially, mm -hmm. you know, in this like middle school, high school, early adolescence, mm -hmm. just really try to help them develop those skills. You know, it's not just like, calculus and trigonometry right right that you need to really have tutoring for but it's really about like self-advocacy and mm -hmm. um speaking up to protect yourself yeah is super important right now um i think the corollary with that is you know yes we want to teach especially kids to to be um advocates for themselves. And I think a lot of schools, at least in the Bay Area, are getting pretty good about that with like the social emotional learning. Um, mm -hmm. But I think that the big question is like, do we challenge um, kind of the institutions and the culture of our school environments um, and our work environments that, that say that, you know, the way to survive or to be successful is to be really assertive and loud and things like that, right? So it's I think it's we want to question kind of the norms um, also that you know that we don't you know if you think about um, in the classroom for example are we giving grades only for we're, we're rewarding um, the kids who raise their hands first for example versus like really valuing that people take different different amounts of time to process stuff and that people have different contributions and I think those are values that we create in a, in a school environment and then it gets translated into a work environment, right? The most aggressive or the most, the most is the best. And mm -hmm. so it's like quantity over quality sometimes. 
So I think that's a question that everybody could think about. How can we contribute to creating a different kind of environment so that it's not the onus isn't just on Asian American women and girls to learn how to be more assertive? You know, I think right. that's I mean, it, if you think about American culture and if you were to, you know, put it in a box, like you have all these different personalities, right? American culture is very much like an um, extrovert. Mm-hmm. And yeah. they value those extrovert qualities. So it's really, yeah, if you are a natural introvert, it's really trying to teach yourself, okay, this is how I am really, but I have to, it's like a muscle. You have to strengthen and develop this muscle to sort of survive in this extroverted culture. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, I think that would be valuable for parents <laughs> and also yeah like work cultures like just to um just to be aware and like you said to to think that it's not always the first person raising their hand that might have the best solution mm-hmm. you know really you know take the time to get to know your employees you know and see what everyone can offer and um going back to the the pressures of balancing these two cultures. Do you think it's harder for Asian Americans to seek out help when they need it, like mental help? Because I read a study, um, the 2010 National Latino Asian American Study, and it cited that Asians are three times less likely to seek help. Mm-hmm. You know, they they would rather talk to friends than a professional. Mm-hmm. Um, about any kind of familial problems or any kind of um, emotional problems they might be having. Yeah, well, I'm curious, like, what your experience is in your life in terms of do you know folks who seek help, whether it's therapy or other kinds of support? Um, I spoke with one friend, and he he does go to therapy. I myself have gone... um, to therapy just to help with some childhood issues. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And she was really helpful in, um, she, she's, um, she also practices EMDR. Mm-hmm. So it helped me with a lot of trauma resolution. And, and that's why I, I wanted to include mental health in mm-hmm. the podcast. Cause I feel like it's so important because so many people are walking around with, I mean, they're like powder kegs. Mm-hmm. There's so yeah. much put on them, and they feel like they have to do it by themselves yeah. because a, a lot of times um, the way we're raised is very much suck it up. Yeah. You know, what are you complaining about? Do you mm-hmm. know how hard I had it, et cetera, yes. et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So, and I'm sure they had a very hard time. <laughs> That's why they moved to the United States, you yes, know, with exactly. $2 in their pockets. Yeah. But, um, but, you can't compare those two situations and by doing that mm-hmm. you are devaluing this person's experience and what they're going through mm-hmm. you know because for them they are going through something um, intense that they need help with mm-hmm. so yeah I, I yeah, do I just, oh go ahead sorry um, I, I was gonna say I, I do think um, there still is a stigma for a lot of folks I it seems like people are more open uh, to therapy than they used to be. Um, And I think what really helps is if we make access easier. 
kind of like a foot in the door thing. So a lot of times for folks, the first time they have a therapy opportunity or experience is when they go to college. So if you are privileged enough to go to college, there's usually a college counseling center um, that's free or paid for by your student fees. And so that's when people try out therapy for the first time for a lot Mm -hmm. of college students, but especially Asian Americans. And so I think by making it easier, they're willing to give it a try because it's free. Um, And now there are more companies who are providing um, better mental health benefits. And I think that also is giving same thing, same idea of giving it a try. So a lot of the clients I have worked with, um, they have a really good um, mental health benefit through their company and they're like, oh, okay, I'll give it a try. Um, and they're mm-hmm. a- they're Asian, um, not even Asian Americans, some of them, and but they have a different kind of perspective, and it's also normalized in their work culture to go seek therapy. So I think that's interesting too that workplaces um, can influence just kind of that it's okay, and so then people talk about it more openly, and then they oh yeah I've gone I've tried um, therapy and it can be helpful, and so then they're referring folks. So I think when we make access easier. Um, and less uh, mysterious, um, then I think it's easier for people to try it out and actually see how could it be. Also, like you were talking about um, it being stigmatized, Mm -hmm. if if you frame it in a way that it's you maybe asking for advice to get through a certain situation, right? Or, um, you know, like, the life coach thing is a big thing right yeah. now. Mm-hmm. And it's really like maybe you need someone to help you reevaluate your life goals and what you really want instead of like I'm going to see a therapist because I'm crazy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I'm it's a don't think of going to therapy as because you're mentally ill. It's mm-hmm. really because you want to talk to somebody who is a professional. Like your friends might be great, but they might be giving you horrible advice. Yeah. And you have no <laughs> idea. Like you should really talk to somebody who's, you know, had the training and gone through it. Because, you know, like I said, I went to so- and saw someone who has EMDR training. And that was very helpful and beneficial for what I needed to um, process and get over. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, there are lots of different, like you could be having substance abuse problems, right? You could be having marital problems, Mm -hmm. you know, any, any of that, like maybe you suffered child abuse when you were younger, like there's so many different um, avenues that you can get help and just see it as getting help. Not mm-hmm. because you have a problem. Yeah. Right. Not because something's wrong with you. Mm-hmm. But, I, you know, if you if you have cancer, you're going to go to a doctor. Yeah. Right. And if you have a substance abuse problem, that's just as life-threatening, right? You should go see a doctor to help you with that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's really been helpful is like kind of the messaging that you can seek counseling or therapy for lots of different reasons it doesn't you don't have to be in crisis you know in Mm -hmm. order to seek it out and sometimes it is to work out what what's going on for you Um, I do think the life coaching industry is kind of making it um, more accessible to to folks who maybe who are still afraid to go to therapy the issue 
that you know they just have to be careful of they meaning the coaches and the clients is that um, the coaches need to know when to refer to a mental health professional if it is Mm -hmm. a more um, serious concern that the client needs to work on so I, I do think if if coaching is kind of the entree for a lot of people to help them reflect on what they're doing in their life I think that's a good way to go too um, it's good practice to really reflect on your own values um, are you living according to your values um, and a lot of therapists talk about the same things um, so it's like wherever you can get that if you get some support to do it I, I think that's a, a good thing right and you know if you do see a life coach first and like you said if they refer you to um, a therapist or a psychologist, it it could be because like whatever is holding you back professionally could have some deep, deep roots in another area that need to be, I don't know, uncovered and dealt with. Yeah, well, just process more and healing Mm -hmm. needs to happen. Mm -hmm. The balancing of the two cultures, you know, like... um, like we're talking about if you are hesitant to get help because you don't really see it in your culture Mm. and your culture doesn't really value, you know, talking about problems per se, like, you know, they always want to project an image of success maybe. Mm. And they don't really want to acknowledge that there might be something wrong. Mm -hmm. So the, the balancing of the two cultures, like you said, it's probably more prevalent in first-generation Americans, Um, like your parents were immigrants, and you grew up here. Maybe you weren't born here, but you grew up here. Do you find that that's still a problem with parents that were born here and still carrying that on to their American-born children? I think that's quite possibly happening. (laughs) Um, mm. especially if they they did manage to um, suck it up like you described earlier right that there are probably second generation folks who are like I got through it so you should too um, so I, I I do think like we will see quite quite the range um, even within second generation folks who are parents now it depends on how much um, they did their own self-exploration um, and understanding of their emotional and mental health uh, well-being. Um, because I, I don't think it's just a given that the second and third generation folks are, are more open to seeking help for mental health services. Um, I think the more uh, proximity you have to someone who has gone to therapy, I think that opens up the possibility a lot more. So I think me being a psychologist in my family, I think that has kind of opened up just how my cousins who are older than I am, how they think about therapy and they're, they're more open to it, I think, Mm -hmm. because they know someone who does it. And, and I'm talking about quite the just developmental range. My clients talk about work stuff, relationship stuff. So um, it's not all serious, like mental health concerns that are being talked about. And so they're like, Oh, okay. So we can talk about stress with dealing with, college applications or mm-hmm. unresolved issues with family stuff. I'm like, yeah, that's all the kind of stuff you can talk about in therapy. So I think the more exposure people have to someone in their life 
who is either involved in therapy or has gone to therapy can be really helpful. But I think that'll take time too. Right, because you you find that it's yeah, like you said, it's it's it can be about just things that are causing you a lot of stress. And um, maybe you feel like you can't really discuss that with friends or family because, um, you know, culturally you just don't complain. Mm -hmm. Like complaining is not, (laughs) you know, like what you think might be, I really need help with something somebody else might see as complaining. Mm -hmm. Um, So and complaining is not um, something that uh, people like to hear. <laughs> well, I think people are uncomfortable with um, negative emotions. And mm-hmm. so I have clients who say, yeah, they have parents who just get kind of mad or upset if right. they express anything that's not happiness. And right. um, it's kind of funny because we're watching the the Disney movie is Inside Out right now mm-hmm. um, with the family. And um, that the whole movie is about you can't be happy all the time. Oh, sorry. Right. Spoiler alert. But yeah, you know, that, <laughs> that um, and I think for a lot of Asian parents, they're very uncomfortable when people talk about feeling sad. So then as the child, you learn that it's not OK to talk about feelings, um, especially if you're angry or sad about something. So then we don't learn how to process those feelings. Right. Yeah. And then you just stuff them down. Stuff them and down. And that just causes <laughs> all kinds of others. I always say. Anytime you have to stuff something <laughs> yeah. down, just know that that is planting a seed of trouble down the line. Exactly. Where does it go? It's got to go somewhere. Go somewhere. Go somewhere. Yeah. yeah it yeah. either eats you up inside or it leaks out. It leaks out in, I don't know. Self-destructive behavior. Self-destructive behavior. Passive aggressiveness, Mm -hmm. that is all about stuffed down emotions, right? Um, And the the feeling that you can't assert yourself, that's where that passive aggressiveness comes from. Right. It's it's not okay to have the feelings that you have. And so Mm -hmm. therefore, it's not okay to speak up for yourself. And that is, um, when you feel silence, that can be really um, just depressing, honestly. You feel like you don't have a voice. It's either depression or anger. Yeah. Right. Because they're they're cousins. Mm -hmm. So it's like (laughs) your cousins have come to visit you. (laughs) Depression and anger. Depression can um, be anger for sure. Yeah. I feel like it. Well, maybe I'm stereotyping, but I feel like in males, depression comes out as anger Mm. a lot of times. It can. It's a more acceptable expression. Mm-hmm. of a negative emotion for men yeah 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 for sure with the um american-born asian parents do you feel like do you see them kind of continuing the cycle of the pressure the academic pressure the seeing their kids in a quote-unquote successful field you know like a doctor lawyer mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera, and maybe if your son wants to become a mechanic, it's kind of like, hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, it's really hard, hard for them to hide their disappointment, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel that still in the generation that was born and raised here? Or do you feel like they have taken on the cultural values enough to let their kids find their own path? Mm-hmm. 
I well, I think I'm pretty skewed here, being because I've been in the Bay Area for quite a while now. So I think in general, there's more. There, there's a more progressive view of like, yeah, wanting your kids to find whatever makes them happy. So I, I think there, there are definitely those folks who still see there's a certain way of being happy <laughs> in terms of, mm-hmm. you know, certain kinds of um, professions. Um, but I do think, so it's this weird combination now. It's like, I want you to find what makes you happy and you still have to be the best at it. So there's like, there's still right. maybe a little bit of that pressure of like, excelling and being successful but you get to choose what you want right you better within be the bounds. best mechanic ever yeah, right or within bounds <laughs> like you got to open up your own shop and like employ a bunch of stuff you know so it's right. like different levels of of pressure because um, I do think that's still the remnant of that immigrant family like if you're only one or two generations removed like that message is still pretty strongly there and I also right. want to say that I know there are some parents that um, that are immigrants but they they want to take the pressure off their kids. So it's interesting. Like, I don't think it's a mm-hmm. given that the immigrant parents have, like, super high standards um, and just want their kids to work themselves to death. Um, yeah. Because I've had For conversations sure. where the parents are like, actually, I think my daughter works too hard. Like, they were in high school. Like, they're mm-hmm. staying up too late. Like, they could see it wasn't good for their physical health. And mm-hmm. so it, it, I thought that was an interesting perspective because that's not really the viewpoint I grew up with um, for most folks. Um, So there's still variation within, you know, even immigrant parents, right? They don't all have that same must sacrifice everything to do well in school mentality. Right. And that's a good point you make. You know, we're not trying to paint everybody with a wide brush here. We're just trying to talk about... um, like general issues and then Mm -hmm. you know of course there are always these outliers um outside of that so lately discrimination has become an issue Mm -hmm. with a lot of the anti-asian um hate crimes that are popping up and also just i feel like a lot of it comes from some kind of resentment because Asians have excelled a lot in such a short time, mm-hmm. you know, it's weird because I, I, I feel like it's almost this this resentment to a lot of success mm-hmm. that um, a lot of the Asian discrimination is happening. You know, like, you know, they don't want to promote somebody or they don't want to, you know, give praise or mm-hmm. highlight good work because maybe they feel like they have to prop somebody else up, mm-hmm. you know, or um, just in general because of the climate we're in and um, seeing an Asian face now elicits a, a different type of reaction mm-hmm. than it would have maybe four years ago. Yeah. Yeah, I, well, I, are you thinking about... In- particular context like in work context I think in work context like um like we were saying earlier about being passed over for a promotion or um you know I think about Jeremy Lin and how he was you know a great basketball player but nobody would give him a chance because he was Asian. Mm-hmm. He is Asian. Yeah. And 
they're like Asians can't play basketball yeah you know like they just kind of dismissed him right mm -hmm. away mm -hmm. even though he was a fantastic basketball player mm -hmm. so um it's just that kind of um like um instant dismissal yeah it's like oh they can't do it that they're Asian they can't yeah. do that yeah there's uh there's a lot of resistance to disrupting the racial hierarchy and narratives that we have in this country, right? And I, I think there's a lot of using race as an issue to distract from how a lot of policies and businesses, like the issues are actually probably more socioeconomic in terms mm -hmm. of um, access to resources so I don't want I don't want to get like so big, but I do think that that we that the way race is used is kind of um, it kind of helps people. It distracts racism is a distraction basically from a lot of the other structural inequities that we have in terms of like access to education or higher education, right? So if you're really poor, it's hard to get. It's not just work hard and get out. There's so many things that get in your way. Um, in terms of uh, just all the expectations that you have. So it's much harder to get out of poverty than if you're starting at um, a more middle-class uh, position, right? And so I think when, um, when folks feel like, um, let's say white working-class folks feel like they're not doing as well, they're gonna blame, like the narrative is that it's because of racial stuff and like, oh, um, immigrants from Asia are taking up the jobs in the tech industry, for example, right? But we're not actually questioning all the things that happen that create all the inequities in terms of why any poor person can get more education and have more access to resources in this country, right? It becomes racialized and we, it distracts from the question of how we distribute economic resources. In the country so I, I think we get stuck at that level um, and because that's how we are directly affected as Asian Americans sometimes we get sucked into that narrative um, but then we're not really addressing that there are a lot of really underlying big underlying issues with how we um, have access to resources in this country like really basic fundamental like health care and education mm-hmm I'm thinking specifically also about the Harvard, well, the students that sued Harvard. <laughs> Their parents who sued Harvard. Yeah. That well, is exactly what I was thinking, too. <laughs> yes. Yes. Like, Jeremy Lin is specific, and it's an unusual case because, you know, the NBA is a majority black players, you know, then you have some white players and some white players from Europe. Um, so he was, yeah, this kind of outlier mm -hmm. because he was Asian American and um, he happened to go to Harvard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Of course. Of course. He's just he's just putting more pressure on yeah. all of us now, yeah, yeah. yeah, to 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 reach his heights. Yeah. But um but yeah, he was he's this outlier case cuz mm -hmm. he went to Harvard. Harvard doesn't give athletic scholarships. So the guy got there like on his grades. And, you know, he was this phenomenal player, but yes, he was overlooked because he was Asian and just kind of dismissed out of hand. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I, I remember reading a report, a security guard stopped him when he was trying to go to practice. And he was saying, well, I'm a Nick. And the security guard's like, 
get yeah. out of here. Yeah, right. <laughs> <You're not laughs> <laughs> and he's uh, like, no, I really am. Oh, man. So I know, I know. So it's just that just this instant dismissal. Mm-hmm. And um, I totally feel for the kids that, um, and I shouldn't call them kids, but, you know, I'm old. Um, but for the students who sur- sued Harvard because they, on their end, they did everything right. Right. They worked hard. They got the scores. They got the grades. They got all their extracurriculars in a mm-hmm. row. You know, I'm sure they wrote a fantastic essay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm sure their application was like, but they felt like they're being discriminated against by lots of Ivy League schools, not just Harvard, because so many applicants are Asian American. Mm-hmm. And it's like a tricky thing here now mm-hmm. where the what they're protesting against was put in place for this very reason right for the colleges mm-hmm. to want a diverse student body yeah so they it's yeah it's it's an odd and um it's conundrum yes yeah i think it's very complicated i i think when when folks um kind of equate affirmative action with um quotas I think that's mm-hmm. problematic because it's not what it's about. However, if you're in the admissions office, maybe it is translated into some kind of quota system, right? I mean, if you boil it down to that, that's what it is, right? right. You want a percentage of each mm-hmm. racial group. You want the if, campus to look like the United States. Right. Well, I guess the thing is, is, though, affirmative action doesn't have to be a quota system, right? Hmm. right? It's more just the idea that you are taking into consideration other experiences but you could do that mm-hmm. without calling it affirmative action um right and but i i understand what you mean like it's a conundrum almost feeling like that you're going to be pushed out if you're asian american because somehow you're not they have too many There are too many <laughs> i know i was like does that mean you're not adding to the diversity i don't know but then it does it it's like, well, true. It's like then we're, we're doing too much of that stereotype of the overachieving Asian. Like that maybe they're, it is losing its value um, from that perspective that it, it's not serving you well. And there's a reason it's not serving you well um, because it's still not enough. Mm-hmm. Right? That, yeah. that there, there's still other structural things going against us and uh, structural but also like you said there's it's hard to put a finger on it but somehow like too many Asians would be bad at these universities mm-hmm. however that's they're been taking different. over right <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah well I listened to this podcast um, this one podcast and it was talking about how the so they had the applicant to Harvard talk about his experience and he got in and he was so happy but he had help from a Harvard alum who's white white male older who really advocated for this Asian-American student and one of his and I think he had to write a letter because the the Asian-American student got to read what his um, I don't know mentor wrote about him and he said um, his his parents his parents are not like these tiger mom parents Mm -hmm. you know he's a really great kid and he's got diverse interests and blah 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 
And the the students' reaction to that really kind of put them off like tiger mom <laughs> parents. Like, mm-hmm. You see Asian parents as tiger mom parents. So he felt a little um, offended, but yet mm-hmm. he did get in, you know. But he was kind of, I guess, hurt by the fact that this mentor of his saw Asian parents, especially with kids applying to Harvard, as these like whip cracking yeah. tiger mom parents. And um, and then they had the mentor's point of view and he's saying, I'm married to one. Oh my God. <laughs> my wife is Oh Asian. no, don't go down that road. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Like if you had a dollar for every guy who said, my wife is Asian. And then yeah. he says something right. like a little, um, but um, yeah. But you know, but he was trying to say that his wife is Chinese and she really does kind of crack the whip on their children. And he's the one who's having to pull her back and say, you know, all this pressure is not good for them. Yeah. So that was just really interesting. Like the kid got in, but it was because his mentor was advocating that he's not this, yes, robotic tiger parent raised mm-hmm. <laughs> overachiever yeah. and that he was just a quote-unquote you know normal kid who mm-hmm. you know was very like academically um, gifted I guess yeah I mean that's the problem with stereotypes right like because now you're damned if you do you damned if you don't like now you have to prove that you're hardworking on your own merit it's not because your parents are like it's kind of crazy and you're not the stereotype like you you are very smart, mm-hmm. but yes, you're not, you know, this robot, robotic tech computer nerd, I don't know, you know, person who is also, I don't know, like a lacrosse champion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and then also just that example is highlighting that so much of these really prestigious universities, a lot of times it's who you know, it's networking, mm-hmm. it's legacies. Right? Right. I didn't know about that till I went to college. I was like, ooh, I didn't. You know, it's like, so all of us kid, children of immigrants who did not go to college in the U.S. to these prestigious universities, we don't have that advantage. That's, you know, we don't talk about that enough um, in terms of affirmative no, I actions, mean, that, right? That's why we're all fighting for these. Uh-huh. See? <laughs> just the sliver of slots, right? Well, and that's how <laughs> we play the into the narrative slots. that... that the there's a racial hierarchy and everybody's trying mm-hmm. not to be at the bottom and right and so i think that asian americans we gotta really think critically about how we could con- contribute to that kind of thinking um and it's it can be really problematic it's detrimental to ourselves but also to other groups you know we need to think about it more complexly um because it's it's not just about not getting into Harvard. It's like, if I really think about it, it's like, I don't want my kid to go to Harvard. You know, is that the best thing for my kid? Right. Right. That is not the only option. And yet somehow we're holding that up as the only way to mark success. So it's like redefining what success too. Yeah. Right. And also, um, you have to think just because you don't get into Harvard, you know, and you are the super student, it's okay. Yeah. 
it does not define you know, your like, worth, right? Yeah, they just they just feel like it's some kind of um, black mark against them, right? Because mm-hmm. hey, I played by the rules, I did everything that I was supposed to do, and yet mm-hmm. Harvard is discriminating against me. It's like maybe not. Yeah, you know, maybe it has nothing to do with you. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's just yeah, the way that they want their school to represent something about yeah. the culture. Um, but, you know, like, I'll, I'll put it to you. What if schools did away with um, sending photos and maybe blocking out someone's name and gender? Ooh, interesting. <laughs> like a blind audition. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Honestly, because they'd have to come up with some kind of rubric, right? It's not can't be just academic, right? And it can't be just like sports and stuff. It have right. it have to be because I think what they're looking for, and I think that's why they rely on their alumni so much, you know, and, and their alumni is advocating for kids to get in, is that um, you can't know somebody by an application. Mm-hmm. You know, you really do need to get a sense of the person. So yeah, I mean, I think you want context, though, right? To right. understand. Um, but I, yeah, I don't think there's a simple way to sort that out um, because that that is part of people's lived experiences as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I suppose if they have their essays, then their personal statements, then they they can talk about themselves um, in a more meaningful way. Um, yeah, I'm not sure how much pictures help. I think that's a right. good question to have. Yeah, because I, I did read that some schools were doing away with the photo, mm-hmm. attaching a photo with your application, just for that reason. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I have to say, I didn't even know they asked for it, so that shows you how long I've been out of it. Like, <laughs> oh, no, I remember, well, this was like, you know, way back in the late 80s but yeah I remember having to attach a photo to all my applications oh really I don't think mm-hmm. I had that okay <laughs> <laughs> that's so interesting yeah. yeah so wrapping up is there anything that you want to highlight with this um, I guess initial mental health conversation chat? well I I, <laughs> I really appreciate you just bringing this into the the space of your podcast because you know a lot of people can um, have these shared experiences and resonate with what we're talking about but it's often so much in like little snippets right in social media of kind of reactions and things and um, I, I guess the one thing I would really love to push is this idea of like the more in touch we are with our feelings um, and the more in touch that Uh, with just accepting the concept that we are going to feel and experience a range of feelings and that's normal and that's important um that i I want people to understand like there's nothing to be ashamed of like our feelings are messages to ourselves when we're sad it's because there's something that we're experiencing that's a loss of something that's important possibly right when we're angry it's because Something has, doesn't sit right, right? Like we've been wronged and maybe we, or somebody we know and love has been wronged and we want to stand up for them. So the, the emotions are messages to ourselves. And, you know, 
because you let yourself feel sad, it doesn't mean you will then get stuck in the sadness, right? I think that's the fear for folks is like, oh my gosh, then I'm going to be a depressed person. Um, no, it's a mood and it's going to happen. And so I think that would be kind of one takeaway is that the more we talk about our experiences and the more we can actually talk about the feelings related to those experiences, the more we can move through those experiences and heal from them, make sense of them, process them in a way that gives us a sense of how we want to move forward from that experience. So I, I hope that just people think it's okay to talk about feelings and to be in touch with ourselves because then that helps us understand what we really want to be doing mm-hmm. in our day-to-day. Yeah. yeah, and your feelings are your feelings. Yeah. Like you don't have to apologize mm-hmm. for having a feeling about mm-hmm. something. And I feel I see that a lot. Yeah. Like they'll say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm so upset. You know, I'll, I'll see people apologizing that they're yeah. feeling something. And it's like, don't apologize. Right. That's, that's your feeling. Yeah. You know? Like um, I remember somebody, you know, um, getting teased for something and they would say, oh, but... I shouldn't let that bother me, you know, I, um, what was the word she used? Something like, um, um, I shouldn't, you know, it shouldn't be a big deal to me, you know, but she was in tears Mm -hmm. and it's like, well, maybe it is a big deal to you. Mm -hmm. Why, you know, why dismiss what you're feeling? So yeah, yeah, like you said, feelings are real messages to yourself and it's okay to have them. Yeah. Well, yeah. And it's more nuanced. It's like that, that really bothered me. I'm upset. I'm going to feel, you know, I'm crying. I'm going to feel upset about it. And you can then choose after that moment to say, but I'm not letting that person define how I see myself. Right. So I think you Mm -hmm. can have like those things because just because you feel upset doesn't mean like that person has power over you. It means you feel like you need to be protective of yourself. I didn't deserve that. And then from moving forward, then I am going to set a boundary with that person and I won't do X, Mm -hmm. Y, Z. That can help inform how you move through it. Um, Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's so hard when we have those, I shouldn't feel a certain way. Right. Uh, That's, that's, you're judging yourself on top of feeling bad. (laughs) Right. Yeah, that's, that's, I think, yeah, you put it um, perfectly. Like just, yeah, don't dismiss it. Acknowledge how you're feeling. (laughs) Feel it, yeah. Because yeah, and let it pass, like the weather, mm-hmm. right? It'll pass. Exactly. And then, like you said, like then think about what you can do. So, you know, maybe it doesn't happen again, or yeah, yeah or exactly. Just find a better or constructive way to, you know, deal with it the yeah. next time it comes. Yeah, you learn from it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So on that note. Thank you, Dr. Grace Chen, for joining me on the Asian Fail podcast. And that's the tongue-in-cheek title. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Thank you for having me. I was like, should I name it this? Are people going to want to come on? (laughs) Do they want to be seen as an Asian Oh, my gosh. It made me want to come on. (laughs) I was like, I like this. (laughs) Yeah, let's talk about it. Mm Because that is like a thing in the Asian community. And I'm like older, so I didn't really hear that term until about I don't know maybe seven years ago and I was like what they're actually they actually have a name for this feeling that I 
<laughs> that I'm experiencing. Yeah, so it's mm-hmm. it's pretty funny. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we're it's a safe place to talk about all these things. So hopefully, Dr. Grace will come back. Yeah. Oh, I'd love to. I just love that you opened up all these different topics. I mean, there's so much to talk about. Yeah. Right, and that's that's a great avenue for future shows. Yeah. You know, and if listeners have any suggestions or topics they want to talk about, just email me and yeah, we'll try to get it out there. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Grace. Thank you so much. All right, that's my show. I hope you guys enjoyed it. You can find Dr. Chen at www.drgracechen.com. And doctor is just DR. If you'd like to maybe check out her practice maybe um, schedule yourself for a little chat to help you through something we're all going through this um, crazy time right now and it would you know if you're feeling a little stressed and if you're finding it hard to sleep maybe you need to talk to somebody and I'm gonna put a bunch of mental health links in the show notes if you want to look into those as well Thank you for listening and I will chat with you guys next time.